Titus chapter 1, verse 1, and it reads as follows. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect, and acknowledging the truth which is after godliness in the hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began, but hath in due times manifested his word through preaching, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God our Savior. To Titus, mine own son, after the common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior. For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting and ordain elders in every city as I had appointed thee. Let's pray before again to today's message. Dear God, thank you for this congregation here, this congregation of people here ready to hear your word, ready to uh, worship you, to honor you, to glorify you, to be here in your presence, in your house, on your day. Lord, may this time be glorifying to you. May this time be edifying to you. May this congregation be glorifying to you. And may I speak your word the best I can right now. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We continue with our study, our quick study, at the book of Titus. We started last time, a month ago. And I thought we would finish in two parts, but as I was writing this, as usual, I got too long-winded and I said last night, there's no way we can finish this in, uh, in two parts. The handout was getting to be like uh, many, many pages, so I figured, why don't we do part two this time? And we'll wrap up with part three next time. So remember, we looked at this book to try to figure out, well, who is Titus? Why is the message that was given to him important to us? And one of the reasons we looked at it is because I myself didn't know very much about Titus, right? We know Titus is one of the pastoral epistles and the, the usual thing people think about when you think about Titus is, oh, it has those verses that talk about the qualifications of a pastor, right? That's what it's most famous for. And that's the thing that I remember. But there's three chapters. There's got to be more stuff in there, more stuff for us to learn about, more stuff for us to get out of, right? There's got to be a reason Paul writes to Titus. And so we started looking at that last time, right? More about this, and I learned a lot about this, and hopefully you guys learned stuff about this. But the background of Titus is that he was one of Paul's fellow helpers, right? Someone that he had appointed to head up the ministry in Crete. Obviously, he had helped him probably before, probably been around with Paul before. But specifically, I guess there was stuff going on in Crete, right? We read in chapter 1, verse 12, what does Paul say about the Cretans? Is the Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, slow bellies, right? There's a lot of sin, a lot of problems going on in the church of Crete. And that's why he needed Titus to go there, clean things up, right? To appoint elders, to put the church in order according to what he wrote in this epistle, right? And that's why we study this, right? To get that content out of it, to learn what Paul was trying to teach to Titus. And that lesson, the overarching lesson, can be summarized as this. He wanted to teach him about the character and the conduct of the church. How should people in the church be like? How should people in the church act? That's everyone from the leaders to the followers to everyone. And there's a whole lot of stuff that he says about this, right? But in general, in general, and what we started studying last time was that Paul sets out his principles, even from these first five verses, the ones we just read, the ones we studied last time, the ones we're studying this time, right? He sets out his principles. And Paul is a man of 
principle himself, right? He lived a principled life. And we talked last time about the importance of that, right? The importance of how Paul didn't function on whims or his own emotions and his own uh, passions or whatever. No, 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 no. His whole life, his whole ministry was based on absolutes. These absolutes were the principles that he got from God, divine principles. And this is what made him effective. And we talked about why principles are so important for Christians, right? Last time, right? And we left off the four reasons. Principle gives us confidence, right? That we can act with the same certainty that Paul had, right? Paul knew what he was doing, what he was saying, what he was teaching at all times was right. He had that certainty. Why? Because he knew he was going off of God's principles, right? We have no hesitation, no equivocation in our lives if we are doing it right according to God's way. Principle gave Paul purpose. He always knew how to act and what to do. And likewise for us, if we follow the principles set forth by God, we will always know what to act and how to do it. We won't get lost, right? You just heard Nathan speak this morning about where Paul was going to go. He knew where to go on the missionary journeys. God told him, right? Oh, don't go there, go there. No hesitation. He knew what to do. He had a purpose in life. Nowadays, you hear a lot of young people going, I don't know what my purpose is, right? I don't have any guide. I'm lost. Well, if they had the Bible, if they had God, they would not be lost, right? We would have the principles of God to guide him. So hopefully none of you guys feel, I'm lost. I don't know what to do. The Bible has the answers to that. Stand on the principles of God. Principle gives us wisdom. That's what we studied last time too, right? Paul always had the right answers. He always had the right, made the right decisions, right? We, look, we studied the whole book of Acts. There was never a time where we read a story and it was like, oh, Paul really screwed up and he got in trouble and uh, it was totally wrong. Never. Right? We never read any of his epistles that he wrote, and it was totally the wrong answer and the wrong information. Nope, he was wise. Why is he wise? Because he followed God's principles. He was able to discern, discern, extrapolate, extrapolate what the Christian answer to all of life's questions are. And likewise, we have that same ability to have wisdom. If we know God's principles, we can extrapolate the answers to all of life's questions, no matter how complex they are. God has to answer. Principle gives a fourth thing. We studied principle gives us power. For Paul, it gave him literal power to do miracles, right? Miraculous acts, the power of the Holy Spirit. But likewise, even more powerful than that, he had the power to change people's lives by preaching the gospel. Melvin talked a little about that last week, right? About the everyday miracles that happen. It is a miracle when someone gets saved, isn't it? That someone can change their whole life. How much more power is there than that? That through God's word, someone can go from a low-down, rotten sinner to a man of God or a woman of God. That their life could be changed. And we know that Paul changed people's lives. He changed the lives of literal cities and countries. That the aftermath of his preaching lives on till today. That areas he went to are still Christian areas today. And likewise, today, we have that same power to change lives, change lives through the gospel. So that's why principle was important. But today, we're going to look at what were the principles that Paul believed in? 
What were the principles that Paul followed? What were the principles that he's teaching to Titus right now? And guess what? He spends a whole chat, whole three chapters going through this, but they can be summed up really nicely in the first five verses too. That introduction is kind of like the overview, and it makes sense, right? When you read like the introduction to a book or a paper or something like that, some, you get the general overview at the start, right? And so we get the general overview right here, even from the very beginning, the introduction, the first five verses, and that gives us a little guide to what the rest of the book is really talking about. So we look here at Paul's principles. Four things. Four things. It starts off right at the outset in verse 1. He says, the introduction, Paul, a servant of God. That's his introduction of himself. It's Paul, a servant of God. And the first, uh, what is that, uh, six ver- words of the, of the book, five words of the book. Paul believed, you know, as one of his guiding principles, Paul believed in God's mastery. God's mastery. He accepted. He believed in. He put his faith in God's sovereign authority. Right? That's the way he looked at himself. That's the way he presents himself to other people. You know, Paul, by the time he wrote this book, the book of Titus, was a man of many accomplishments. Right? He had done a lot of stuff. He had written many books of the Bibles. He had gone on many missionary journeys, right? Even before he became a servant of uh, Christ, he had studied the law. He was really learned. He could have started off his book like this. He could have said, I'm Paul. I was trained by the best Jewish teachers. I, was, uh, I understand Greek culture. I was, I'm fiercely loyal. I was zealous. I, was, uh, I met Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. I wrote all these books of the Bible. I did all these achievements by witnessing to people across Asia and Europe. His credentials would be so much, right? He could have done that. He could have listed off like a big, long resume, Right? I mean, that's the way a lot of us would introduce ourselves, right? In this day and age, in a, in a normal, like, professional world, right? Like this week, I was, like, interviewing some people for a secretary position, right? And you sit down and you ask them, like, oh, tell me about yourself, whatever. What do they do? They start listing off all the things on their resume, right? I worked here, here, and there. I have experience in X, Y, and Z, right? We talk all about, oh, this is who I am. This is what I do, right? That's the way the world kind of operates, right? You want to present yourself in this uh, good light, right? Another thing that happened this week at work, we got this uh, book. Someone, someone in our office sent, sent all these people this book, right? And so that's the first thing when I got this book. I say, well, why did they send me this book? Who's this author, right? So the first thing you do is you read like the, the back cover, right? It tells you about the author. So it tells you, oh, this author, he wrote like all these books, right? And he had all these other people recommending him, right? These famous people wrote like, oh, I recommend this author and he writes good books or whatever, right? So here we have a book here, the book of Titus, right? But instead of having a whole sheet on the inside back cover saying, this is Paul. He also wrote the book of Corinthians and the book of Ephesians, the book of Galatians or whatever. All he says is this is I'm Paul, a servant of God. He sees himself as a slave. And that's it. He's not lifting himself up. He's not, I'm this great guy 
I'm this wonderful whoever. Nope, nope, nope. He understood that he was nothing more than just a slave. Right? He lived a life of absolute submission to God. He had no will of his own, no purpose of his own, no plan of his own, no goals of his own. It was all God. So why should he get any glory? Why should he lift himself up? He was just doing what God told him to do. Remember, he was a man of principle. And the first principle that he had is that I am under the will, the submission of God. And that is the heart. That's the heart of being an effective Christian like Paul was. We're supposed to be submissive and obedient and not have our own agenda and own will and all that kind of stuff like that, right? In the beginning, we start off when we're unsaved, as, you know, as the saying goes, right? We start off what? We start off slaves to sin, right? Slaves to the world, right? But through God, we get freedom from sin. We get freedom from sin. But just because we're free from sin doesn't mean that now we have no master, right? We're supposed to have a new master. What does it say in Romans 6.22? In Romans 6.22, it says, but now being made free from sin, right? When you get salvation, you're free from sin. And become what? You become servants of God. You have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. When you accept salvation, you have a new master. And we talk about this master stuff all the time when we read the, the Bible. We see like in Matthew how Jesus talks about how no man can have two masters, right? You can't be a servant of the world and a servant of God. The idea is that once you shake off the burden of being a servant of the world, now you are the servant of God. You have that slavery to him. Now that seems very contradictory to present day uh, thought and present day worldly thought where it's all about freedom and self-determination, right? That's what people talk about all the time, right? I want to be able to do what I want, when I want, how I want, right? Live my life the way I see fit. Don't tell me what I can and can't do. That's the world's view, right? That we ought to be able to do, you name it, right? That's the, that's the trend in everything, right? When you look at anything nowadays, the movement of the world is always toward more and more, oh, just let me be, right? Before, it was taboo to have something like homosexuality. Now it's like, let me be. I want to be homosexual. Let me be. And the world is accepting that nowadays, right? Before, it was taboo. I don't do drugs or whatever. Now it's like, hey, let me be. If drugs make me feel happy and I'm not hurting you, let me be. I want to do it all, right? That's the world view. Whatever it is. And you can go down the long list, whether it be all the things that are worldly. Whether it be, I want to go gamble all I want. Now we legalize sports gambling, right? Let them be, right? I want to drink all the alcohol I want. Well, it's fine. You're over 21. Do whatever you want, right? So on and so forth. Let us be is the way of the world. God says that's not the way it's supposed to be. God says, actually, you're not free. It's not do whatever you want. It's do what I want. Melvin talked a little bit about this last time, right? When he mentioned Matthew 6.33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, right? We follow God first and foremost. Not myself first 
and foremost. When it becomes a question between my will and God's will, it should always be God's will comes first. It's all about God's will. It's all about submitting to him. It's as if we are the slave and he is the master. When you're a slave, you, want to, you follow what your master says no matter what. It's your job. It should be our job to follow God no matter what. No matter how we might feel. No matter what burden it might have in our lives. No, 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 no. It ought to be that God's way is our way. And we follow it. That's the way Paul lived his life. Was it not? Second point. Second point, Paul's principle. So he believed in God's mastery. He believed in God's mission. His mission. In verses 1 and 2, he calls himself an apostle of Jesus Christ. According to the faith of God's elect. What does God's elect mean? The elect people going to heaven. Right? Who will do what? Acknowledging the truth, which is after godliness and the hope of eternal life. He's an apostle of Jesus Christ. According to that faith, with hope of eternal life, Paul's mission laid out right there. What am I doing? What am I talking to here about? First and foremost, he's talking about the gospel. He was first and foremost an evangelist. And he's telling Titus, first and foremost, your job is an evangelist. Right? That's what it ought to be. That's what he was, right? He submitted to God, and God wanted him to be an evangelist. Hopefully this is all obvious. Hopefully you've heard this many times before. God does want us to get people saved. God wants us to do stuff like fire passing, right? God wants us to do stuff like witnessing, all this kind of stuff like that, right? God wants us to do these things, right? But the second point, second point, second point. Not only did Paul spread the gospel, and we know this from his life, Paul also encouraged the believers, right? It wasn't just, I got you saved, and now I'm gone, right? Paul's mission and God's mission was to encourage the believers as well, right? To acknowledge the truth, the truth, right, of godliness. He's got to share the truth, right? The first phase was evangelism. Tell them about the gospel. Tell them about Jesus Christ. The second phase was edification. Tell them the truth so they know, so they can live that same life, that same submissive life that Paul led, right? Why is that? Why did he teach the truth? It says in verse 3, what does it say about God? What about God's message? It said this is, uh, this is or verse 2, excuse me. I have the wrong side. Yeah, verse 2, it says what? It's God who that cannot lie. God that cannot lie. His word is not a lie. His word is the truth, the absolute truth. And it must be taught. It must be shared. It must be known. It is the truth, the absolute truth. And so that was his mission, to share it. The truth of salvation and the truth of his godliness and how we ought to strive for that. The third principle, the third principle revealed in these verses here. Paul believed in God's method, in God's method. In verse 3, it says this, right? But hath in due times manifested his word through preaching, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God our Savior. There was a means that God told Paul to do this work, right? He knew that God was a master 
and he had a mission to follow, and how was he going to do the mission? There was one way. What's the way that God set forth right in this verse? He accomplished this mission through preaching. Preaching. And when we're talking about preaching, we're talking about speaking God's truth, right? That inerrant truth, the word of God who cannot lie, speaking that truth, speaking that gospel, speaking that Bible to other people so that they know. Preaching isn't just the work of someone like Paul or some pastor or whatever. It's not just my job to preach to you. Actually, preaching is just talking about speaking. We look about what the root word is, right? We know the thing about preaching nowadays as something pastor does, right? Oh, Melvin preaches, Nathan preaches, whatever. But actually, preaching, when you go to the root word, it's just talking, heralding the word of God. It's proclaiming God's word. And all of us have the voice to proclaim. All of us have the ability to speak about God. And we all have the duty to speak about God. Because if we don't, God's work isn't done. His mission isn't fulfilled. Let me give you an example. We all know the famous verse, Romans 10.13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's the famous salvation verse. We all know that. We've heard it so many times that, yes, all you got to do is pray to God and then you can get saved. Tell him. Call out. Call out for salvation. But have you ever looked at Romans 10.14? 10.14. What does that say? So it says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Paul says this, how then shall they call on him? Okay, so you tell them you need to call upon the Lord. But how do they do that? Right? How then shall they call on him who have they not believed? How should they believe in him who they have not heard? How can they do that? How do they know to call out? And how should they hear without what? How should they hear without a preacher? Someone's got to tell them about salvation, right? People can, can get saved just by calling out to God, but they don't know to do that unless some of them tell, someone tells them about that. And whose job is that? That's all of our job, right? The job of witnessing, the job of spreading the gospel isn't just to, oh, you are the great preacher. Melvin, tell everyone about it. Nathan, tell everyone about it. The job of preaching falls to all of us. We are all to preach Christ. We're all to evangelize. It doesn't have to be you get up in front of a crowd of 100 people and say all this stuff. Sometimes preaching could just be between one person and another person. In fact, when we do witnessing, isn't that exactly what we do? It's just one person and another person, isn't it? That's preaching. That's telling someone, this is how you call upon the name of the Lord. This is how you get saved. That's a job for all of us. We got to tell people, even if it's as little as one Person, this is how you get saved. This is who Christ is, right? That's the way God has set it forth from the very beginning. That's how Paul got people saved, isn't it? We read through the whole book of Acts. That's all he did. He went around from city to city and he preached the word of God. He talked to people, whether it be one person, whether it be a ton of people. He talked, he talked, he shared. And that's got to be the primary vessel for the church today. For all of us today. You know, it's not about anything else. Some churches today want to focus on other things, extraneous things, but the heart of everything always for all churches has to be preaching, right? We talked about CBC 40th anniversary not that long ago, right? And we've seen this 
consistently throughout 40 years. You know, it hasn't changed very much, right? There's still Sunday school every week, still a message every week. Why is that? Because preaching is the most fundamental thing there is. Without preaching, we're not sharing the message, right? Some churches today want to do like all this new age funky stuff, right? And maybe there's some good that comes from it, but in the end, it's got to be back to preaching, right? And some churches, they want to do like, have like a rock concert type thing, right? Where they have like chanting and like uh, music and all this other stuff or whatever. But you know what? Without the word of God, without speaking the word of God, all that's just superfluous, right? That's not going to be the thing that gets someone saved. No one gets saved by chanting like they're at a rock concert or whatever, right? Or doing, you know, whatever these uh, uh, newfangled, exciting churches try to do. People get saved through just the old-fashioned, same old thing, even from Paul's day, which is preaching. So the method that God has, the method he says right here, what's the word? He uses the word right here. It is preaching. Preaching is our method. Finally, the fourth principle. Paul believed in God's men. And I use men here as a generic word to speak about humans, right? But, I, but you know, I was going pretty well. I had all the, the four, I want to do the four M's, right? So I use men, right? It's mastery, mission, method, and men. But men means humans, right? People. And God's people. To Titus, he says, mine own son after the common faith. He writes this as if Titus is his son, right? He says, son, I'm teaching you something here right now, just like I would teach my son, right? I teach my son stuff. I try to teach him stuff all the time, right? Son, let me teach you about this and that, right? Titus, let me teach you about this and that. What Paul tried to do was to multiply himself, to teach, it, teach his followers so that there'd be more people to continue his work. You know, I bet you this. I bet you Titus was undoubtedly one of like Paul's best followers, because if we look at it this way, a lot of his epistles, who are they written to? They're usually written to cities, right? Here's the epistle to the Corinthians. He's written to the Galatians, whatever. But who are two of the key people that he writes to? By name. Well, one is Timothy, right? One is Titus. So you've got to figure just by logic, the fact that he wrote to them specifically must tell us something about these two people, that they were special in his eyes, that they must have been one of the top people, their top, his top protégés probably, right? That he wrote to them directly. So that's why he gave him the best lessons, that this is my best follower, my number one student, let me teach him, right? As if he was my son, let me teach him all I know so that he can continue the work, right? That's what a great leader does. Isn't that how it works out? A great leader knows how to delegate and train other people up. That was Paul. He believed in the other workers. And again, it's not all just males, too. If you read through the epistles, a lot of times he references uh, females, too, that are doing the work and encouraging females also. So this is for men and women, that we are to continue the ministry, right? We can't just rely on one guy, right? It can't just be Paul, because what happens? Paul will die one day, and then what happens? We stop sharing the gospel. We stop doing the mission. We stop doing it God's way. No. He's got to teach other people. <coughs> so that continues. Right? It can't just be one guy. If it's one guy, then what will happen? Eventually we'll die out. Right? That one guy will die, and then there'll be no more. 
Folks, is that going to be the future of Chinese Bible Church? Is it going to be Nathan does everything and Melvin does everything and one day they're gone and it dies out? <coughs> I hope not. I hope it be that they are actively working to train us up and all of you guys up to, to continue this work. <coughs> In the same way Paul trained up Titus and Timothy and all the rest. And that we, like Titus and Timothy and all the rest, are accepting of that, that take on that mantle, that, <coughs> that burden, that call to do God's work, to follow on in God's work. There's so much that needs to be done here. There's so many people that need to be saved here. There's so many people that here need to hear God's truth here. You guys know that. <coughs> you guys know there's a lot of work to be done left. We're not finished. We can't rest on our laurels and sit on our hands and say, oh, Chinese Bible Church, uh, 8,000 people saved. Let's take a break. Chinese Bible Church taught so many people the Bible. Sit on our hands. That's it. There's more to do, more to learn. Even us, even me. I want to learn more, right? I want to get more people saved, right? What can we do? What can we do to make that a reality? How can we think and be the future leader to, so that we can be the ones that are following God's method, doing God's mission, following God's mastery? These are the principles that Paul set forth. This, this is the pattern, his guide for us that we got to follow. He wants us all to eventually be strong leaders for him. Isn't it true today that there's a lack of Christian leadership? Is it? Is it true? Not picking on us here at our church, maybe it's true here, but just in general, right? Who is the great Christian leader of our time? No one. I don't know. I can't think of anyone that's a great Christian leader of time. You hear Melvin talk about people like Jack Hiles and Dr. John R. Rice. Folks, Jack Hiles and John R. Rice are dead, right? They're, they've gone to heaven already. Who is the next guy that's going to be like that? Who is the next person that's a leader committed to following the model of Paul, to being a man on a mission, a man who submits to God's mastery, a man following God's methods, a man building up more men in Christ? Maybe it's going to be one of us. Hopefully it's one of us, that we are walking in that path, right? That we can't just say, oh, that was people way back when. It was people like Paul. It was people like Titus. It was people like Jack Hiles. No, no, no. It should be people like us. Let's finish up the conclusion with a quote from Jack Hiles. He said this, I'd rather die in the will of God than live outside it. Are we committed to God's mastery, living in his will? Are we committed to God's mission, following his mastery to get people saved, to learn his word? Are we committed to his method, preaching his message to other people? Are we committed to his men, teaching others to do likewise? Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for the book of Titus, that we can learn the principles that Paul set forth for Titus, that that message resonates with us even today. Lord, we pray for Christians living in the United States here today. We need leadership. This church needs leadership, right? I wish we had more and more leaders in this church. All churches need more leadership. I wish there were more and more people out there doing your work, preaching your mastery and your mission. <coughs> that's, that's certainly my prayer. Lord, be with this now as we wrap up this Sunday, that we keep these thoughts in our minds, that we keep these goals in our minds and in our hearts and as part of our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.